we're talking about relationships. I think, I don't, I think this is like session six or something, and we've said we're going to talk about it for a while because there's so many facets to our relationships. They're kind of, there's so many aspects to it. But what we've been talking about is this idea of our future relationships. Because a lot of times, you know, um, Beth and I were talking about the other, the other night, we're sitting there saying, we've been married for almost 12 years. And I know, incredible. And, and we still like each other a lot. We both agreed on that. And we're like, that's pretty good, you know. As we sat there talking about it, we're like, you know, 10 years ago, you know, we didn't sit there talking 10 years ago about what are we going to be like 10 years from now. We just didn't. We didn't sitting there thinking, you know, as we were like in, uh, in the little farmhouse in, in Hagersville thinking, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to live in Townsend and we're going to have like four little rugrats that just keep us so busy and, you know, uh, try and carve out time for one another and, and uh, you know, this thought about are we going to be more in love then than we are now? We, we didn't really talk about any of that. We didn't really think about any of that or, 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 or plan any of it. And I thought it made me think about that. It made me think that today, I'm not thinking 10 years in advance just on purpose. I'm not really thinking about what our relationship's going to look like. I'm just kind of thinking about what it's like now. I'm thinking about today. We're going off to the falls after overnighter and, you know, yeah, I know. Woo! Honeymoon part 38, whatever. Uh, It's just this chance to go out and and spend and enjoy time together. That's what I'm thinking about, not only, but I'm thinking about, you know, this stage of my life. We're, we, we often don't think 10 years in advance. We don't, we're not thinking about where our future relationships are. And this morning, I want to challenge you to have that thought about what our future relationships are. For some of you, you're like, my relationship's great. And all you got to do for that to get ruined is do nothing. You know, it, relationships that are great and relationships that are in a really tough spot both require the same thing. They both require us to be intentional about where we're heading. And we don't do it naturally. We don't. Uh, and so this, this whole series, we've been talking about some stuff, and some of you are like, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that sounds like my relationship, and it sounds cool to hear it. But the Bible's so clear on the fact that we need to actually do something with it. So, you know, as we talked the last couple of weeks, we've given you some things to actually step out and do. Uh, we will again this morning, but one of those, you know, a while back, a couple of weeks, we were talking about the idea of the gap that just kind of grows. We just drift this gap that grows in our relationships with our marriage, with our kids. And, and to be intentional about bringing that closer together happens with just one question. That question of saying, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? It brings, it brings uh, relationships closer in the fact that it just offers all of you for their greatest need at that moment. Simple question. What can I do to help? We talked about this idea of thinking, oh, maybe in my future relationships, I'd like to have a lot less conflict than I have right now. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that, that the whole cause of conflict is that there's something in us. We're not getting what we want, and that's a problem. But when we realize that, we start focusing on that, that that it's not always the other person. They're not responsible for our happiness. It changes us. We talked about last week, don't judge people by their motives. You don't know why they said something. You don't know why they did something. You might think you do, you don't. You know, the Bible even says we don't even know our own hearts half the time, but God knows. And so that idea of, of um, judging by motive just opens the door to hurt. So we, we gave you a bunch of these thoughts to think about of things to do, and I'd encourage you to do them. You're like, well, I forget what they are. You can listen to those messages online and be kind of recharged and rechallenged. But this morning, I want to talk about the topic of forgiveness. The topic of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, 10, 12 days ago, um, on June 17th, there's a young man named Dylan Roof. He went to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And uh, he, had gone, he went to this church, 
uh, for this prayer meeting, met with a whole bunch of people. He just heard there was a prayer meeting there and went in, uh, complete strangers, and spent an hour with them just in, in their prayer meeting, worshiping and, and praying. And then about an hour into the prayer meeting, he pulled out a 45 Glock and began shooting the place up. Shot 10 people. Nine of them died. Nine of them died. And as he um, was at his hearing three days later, the judge gave him a chance to, just to um, explain himself. And all he said was his name, that he was unemployed, and uh, that was it. And then he asked the people in the courtroom to uh, have a chance to talk. And the people in the courtroom were all of the family members of people who had been killed. Some of them had been there at that thing. And as this church, and many of you saw and read about in the news in Charleston, South Carolina, they would walked up and, and, and had the chance to face this person who uh, had just brought incredible pain into their lives only three days earlier. And it's amazing at how many of the people said these three words, I forgive you. I forgive you. Some of them said it, you know, you took everything from me. You took my mom, and I'll never see her again, but I forgive you. You came in with hate, and yet I don't want to see hate win, so I forgive you. Powerful, powerful words. But what was really crazy is that as he stood there, there was no emotion on his face. There's tears in their eyes as they're saying these words, I forgive you, and his face, a blank stare. Tons of emotion in their, in their voices as they said those words, I forgive you, and no emotion from him in response. No regret, no remorse, no repentance, no feeling sorry for what he'd done, taking nine lives, and yet this feeling of, I forgive you, was still being spoken it's crazy, you know, and, the, and, and in the weeks that followed that, there's been this major debate going on right now about whether those people were allowed to forgive him. He's not sorry. How can you forgive? How can you forgive on behalf of people who died? It's up to them to forgive. He didn't do it to you. Yeah, he maybe hurt, hurt you by taking somebody, but can you really forgive? And there's this, this difficulty, and there's this challenge, and, and, and people have a difficult time with this word forgiveness. And I think it's probably one of the most difficult topics in this series for me to actually talk about because I think every one of us has been faced with hurt in some way. We've been, some of it's real close to home. Somebody's, some people have hurt us. Uh, maybe it's something to a similar level, but something's happened in our lives that requires a response. It requires some sort of response, whether we're going to forgive or whether we're not, but it's, it's, it's required of us and that, that, that decision is made. I wanted to tell this this morning, the F word. Because it's about as difficult to talk about in church as that one. This idea of, of how it faces us is like, how do, I, how do I deal with this topic of forgiveness? Because most of us, we have those opportunities and sometimes we're able to forgive and sometimes we're just not. And this topic of unforgiveness, for, for many of you, as I even mentioned that, there's a, there's a, a hundred different definitions of what that means in your head because we say the words unforgiveness. You don't get a dictionary definition coming to your head. You get a story. You got a face and you got a person and you're like, ugh, yeah, I know that I'm supposed to forgive and yet uh, I don't know that I can. Forgiveness, the actual definition, it's the action or process. It's the verb. It's the doing of forgiving. And forgive is this. Just listen to this. It says stop to stop feeling angry. Stop feeling angry. That word feeling, think about that for a second. Forgiveness is to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. 
to cancel a debt, to forgive, to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake, to cancel a debt. For many of us, we hear this word forgiveness, unforgiveness. It's like it's complicated. It's like your Facebook status. You're thinking about it right now. You're like, yeah, okay, Mark, I already don't like this because you know what you're talking about. And, mm, well, my situation, uh, it's, it's complicated. Because when we talk about forgiveness, especially when it comes to real close relationships like your family, it's difficult because it brings up all kinds of other questions. Like this, is forgiveness internal or external? Is it an action or is it a feeling? And for some, let me just say it this way. For some, you think, you know, it's a feeling. you got to feel forgiveness. And for those, you'd say, you know, you'd be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to forgive. That person wronged me. That person at work, the person in my family, I forgive them because I don't want to hold anything against them. But I ain't telling them. I don't want them to know. I don't want them to think that what they did was okay and they can just get off the hook scot-free. So, yes, I forgive them here. I feel like a forgiveness, but I ain't telling them. So it's internal, but not external. And the flip side is also true. You have people who say, you know what? Oh, that person hurt me. Mm, all right, fine. I know I'm supposed to forgive, so fine. I forgive you. There, I said it. And you see the way, you know, to plan revenge. I forgive. External, but not the feeling of internal. So which is it? Does forgiveness mean that I just got to treat them the same? Do I treat them as if everything is okay? Is that what forgiveness is? Does it mean that what they did was okay? If I forgive them, does it mean that I gotta forget what they did to me? Does it mean that they shouldn't be punished for what they did? And like all these questions brings us up. It's complicated. And as I was looking at forgiveness things uh, online, I found like at least 50 different quotes and they were put on nice little pictures. You know, there's a rose with a quote, you know, and there's a, there's a stream with, a, with this quote, you know, unforgiveness is like letting someone live rent-free in your head. And like, oh, that's clever, but it doesn't help me to forgive anybody. And so I thought we could show you 25 cool little quotes, but it doesn't actually empower you to do anything. And the Bible uh, talks a ton about forgiveness, and I wanted to, this morning, just touch on this thing and just uh, allow Holy Spirit to kind of do in, in our hearts what he needs to, but to give you some thoughts of what do I do, what do I do with this? Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, grab them, go there, because this is not what I'm talking about this morning. This is uh, what, what uh, he talks about in the Word, and, and in Matthew chapter 18, let me just give you a quick uh, heads up on where, where this conversation we're about to look at started. So if you go back, and, and we talk about reading in context, the, this story, it, it appears that it starts in actually in chapter 17. Peter is hanging out, uh, and all of a sudden, all the, some of these religious leaders, and they come and say, hey, Peter, you guys give money to the church? And, and Peter's like, yeah, I think we give money to the church. Why? And he's like, well, we want to know. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just go and ask Jesus if we're supposed to give money to the church. So he leaves them, and he, he goes into the house. So maybe they were talking on the front porch, but it says Peter goes into the house where Jesus is, and he's about to say, hey, Jesus, and Jesus stops him and says, hey, Pete, you think, um, you know, you think we're supposed to give money to the church or, or not? And he says, you know, he asks this kind of this question. Peter's like, you know, you just, did you, were you hearing? You couldn't have heard, but you, you know. And, and so Jesus says to him, Peter, you know what? We don't want to offend these guys. You know what? We know what the truth is, but here's what we're going to do. Go grab your fishing pole. Go fishing in the lake catch the first fish, open his mouth, there's going to be money inside it, and then just go and give that to the church. And Peter's like, all right. So he goes out, and some of you are like, man, why doesn't that happen anymore? You know, I should stop at the Grand River on the way here and cast in a line and put it in the offering. Would have been, would have been great. So Peter 
kind of gone. He's, he's gone. And, and it says at the beginning of chapter 18, it says, at the same time. So my guess is that Peter's not there right at that moment. He's off fishing. And it says, at the same time, the disciples start asking him some questions. They start asking him about who's the greatest. And they start asking him about relationship stuff. And so Jesus begins talking to them. And he begins giving them like bullet points of, hey, this is, you know, this is, um, this is a, a, a little thought on serving others. And he's like, Matthew, you're writing this down. Matthew's like, I got it. I'm writing it down. And so he's writing down about, this is about serving others. And, and then they, this, is, this is about who's the greatest. And he brings a little child in and he talks to him. And then he says, this is the process of forgiving other people. This is kind of what it looks like to forgive. And he's writing, Matthew's writing it down. And, uh, and as, the, as he's writing it down, it's all of a sudden halfway down the thing. It says, Peter, he kind of comes back, but it says he steps up close to Jesus there for the whole conversation or part of it he hears probably something about forgiveness here's Jesus saying something about this thing of forgiveness and he comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus hey Jesus I have a question for you and I love Peter because Jesus when I read about Jesus and I try and compare myself to him I feel like I just don't measure up but then I find Peter and all the dumb things he says and the things he does. I'm like, yeah, I'm like that guy, right? And I think a lot of us are. We can look at Peter and think, man, I'm so glad he's in the Bible because he says all the stuff people are really thinking. And he asks the questions that everyone else looks at him like, Peter, that's a dumb question. But I probably would have asked it. And so Peter, he asked this question. And, and I think a lot of us would have asked this question. And it says in, in verse 21, Peter came up to him, came close to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? So Jesus, I know you're talking about this idea of forgiveness, and I get that, but what about me? What about me? How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And it's kind of this question that we have, it's this. It's this question of in light of my, my situation or my circumstance, how much forgiveness do I owe the other person? Jesus, I know you're talking about this thing of forgiveness, but... My situation's different. So I want to know about me. And you know, this happens because as we started talking about forgiveness, instantly the, the things start flooding to your minds of the people that you have grievances with, the people that you're, you can't forgive, the things that happen to you that you're like, I can't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why I'm thinking about, I don't even want to think about them this morning. And it comes to this question, yeah, Jesus, that's great, forgiveness, but what about me? What about my situation and so Peter asks him, he's kind of looking for some clarity, I would think, and looking for some justification maybe. You know, okay, Jesus, yeah, you said that about, you know, forgiving a brother, but, but, but my situation's a little bit different. He says this, Peter came in, to him and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then he kind of gives him a thought, you know, seven times? Should I forgive him seven times? As I'm thinking about this, it's kind of, it's kind of that, that, that scenario that goes through our head. How much do I have to forgive my husband, do I have to forgive that bully at school? How much do I have to forgive? And Peter's probably like, asked the question. He's like, Jesus, okay, how much do I have to forgive this person, you know? And he's like, Jesus, you knew about the money. You know who it is, wink, wink, right? Maybe even looking over at one of the other disciples. You know, maybe it's James and John. He's like, those guys are just nutcases and they drive Peter crazy. He's like, how many times do I have to forgive? And Matthew's writing it down. He says, Jesus, you probably know the guy, but you know, here's the thing. Jesus, this isn't like a one-time deal. Like, this is ongoing. You know, do I have to forgive him like 
seven times. See, he like, he hurt me and he hurt me and he hurt and he hurt me. Do I have to keep forgiving him? I think seven times is pretty good. That's a whole week's worth of forgiveness, Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? And Jesus is kind of looking at him and, you know, saying, oh, okay. And we think the same way sometimes. Here's that person at work or, or spouse, and we're like, I forgave them. I already did. You know what? I forgave them, and they did it again. <laughs> Do I have to forgive them again? So Jesus is talking to him as Peter says, you know what? My situation, what I'm dealing with, it's different, Jesus. Seven times enough? Jesus says to him, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven is Peter's probably thinking like us. We're like, oh, good. There is a number. There's a limit of how much I have to forgive. And so he probably whips out his stone abacus because they didn't have calculators back there. And he's moving the rocks around to find out. And he's calculating as Jesus is just kind of let that hang there. And he goes, you know, uh, four. Well, that's 490 times minus the seven that I've already done. That's 483 more times i got to forgive those guys. And then, <laughs> then I've done what I needed to do. Then I'm justified in that I've forgiven him enough. And Jesus isn't actually giving him a number. He's actually making him aware of the unforgiveness that's still in his heart. As Peter begins to ask and say, hey, you know, seven times, Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, The idea about this isn't keeping track. That's not what this is all about. Because keeping track of what's been done to you, seven times, eight times, whatever it is, it leads to this idea of how much unforgiveness or how much forgiveness you owe them. And it's this idea of the thoughts turn to unforgiveness, turn to bitterness, turn to a grudge. Talked about this last week. You know, we put people in a box because... That's how they always do things. It's what they're always going to do. And then we pile on with this grudge and we lock it shut. We don't, let, we don't let our husband out. We don't let our wife out of that box. They have no chance to fix our relationship at all because pff, we know what they're like. Pff, I'm not forgiving them again. Pff, no. Grudge is a persistent feeling. There it is again. Persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. There was an insult. There was an injury. There was a hurt. There was a reason. That feeling's still there. And it's persistent. It doesn't really go away. William H. Walton said this, to carry a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee. Carry a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee. Keeping track, counting seven times, eight times, nine times. Skip a few, 488 times. 489 times. You do it one more time, and it's on, right? And and there's this idea of counting and keeping track. That keeping track turns into things like they always, they never, we give them the chance to actually change. So my question for you this morning is, are are you holding a grudge? Are you currently living with unforgiveness in your heart? Well, I don't know. Well, we have a grudge test this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you seven, seven statements. You just answer yes or no in your head, preferably, to them. Um, do you keep as much distance as possible between you and that person? Somebody who's hurt you. You live as if he or she doesn't exist or isn't even around. Maybe they're in your house. I don't trust him at all. I don't trust her. I find it difficult to act warmly toward them. I avoid him or her. I cut off the relationship with him or her, or I withdraw from him or her. If any of those you can answer yes to, there may be a grudge. For some of you, you're like, I never hold a grudge. 
I get even. I don't have time to hold a grudge. You know, ever heard the statement, revenge is sweet? Revenge is sweet. There's a book by Claire Gilman written about that, and she just compiled all the stories that she could find of people who uh, had noteworthy revenge um, uh, stories of, you know, women who were cheated on, who just went ballistic, you know, men who, uh, you know, whatever, just had the, had, uh, the, the biggest possible, you know, revenge story, and, and she wrote them all down. Part of it was uh, they did a, a study in 2004 to see why we think that revenge is sweet. What is it about that, uh, that we think it feels so good? And as they kind of put, the, put these sensors on the brains and they, they kind of had these people play out these scenarios of, what, of revenge and actually being able you know, to, to play out the scenario of just actually taking revenge on the other person, those things would light up like crazy. All of a sudden it was like, yeah, they felt good about, their, their brains actually felt better. And thought, this is interesting. But what was really interesting is that it only lasted about a minute. And then they no longer felt good anymore. It was this high rush of yes and then no. And as they were doing the, uh, the research, they realized revenge is sweet, but not as sweet as you think. And, and, and through their research, they figured out that men, men were more prone to taking revenge than women. And that they enjoyed it more. That for the men, it lasted almost two minutes you know, this, this enjoyment, this, this rush in their head. They also realize that men are far more likely to take revenge in almost every area. At work, in sports, and in driving. I was thinking about that. It's true, you know. Beth and I will drive and, you know, that guy behind me with his high beams for that last kilometer. And I'm just like, that's it. I slow down, slow down, slow down until they pass me. I'm going 60. They bust around me. I don't care how fast they're going. I'm catching up. Maybe it was you. And I'm putting my high beams on at least, you know, until you have to turn off somewhere. And, and I'm like, Grr. and she's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, they show on their high beams. In my, and she's like, and you are doing? And I'm like, that's that, if, at least for two minutes. What? What is that? It's men, and some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's my husband, but I'm not done yet. In the study, they found that men are more likely to do it more often, but women, not quantity, but quality. They, they think about it longer, and they make sure it's awesome. <laughs> and they, they write songs about it, like I took a key to the side of his four-wheel drive, you know, took my Louisville Slugger to both headlights, and they're more devious, you know, they're, they're like peppering their, 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 their husband's food with laxatives and, you know, using his toothbrush to clean the toilet bowl and then putting it back in. And, and I'm not giving the wives any more ammo, but they think it through. And you know what's interesting? Because we just talked about this idea of feelings. It feels better for a little bit, but not in the long run. And for some of you, you're like, I don't know if I have revenge. We have a test for that. So uh, if you could, I'm going to give you five statements and just ask yourself, if you, if you have any of these feelings, like, I'll make him or her pay. I wish that something bad would happen to him or her, that guy at work. I want him or her to get what she deserves, your brother or sister. I'm going to get even, spouse maybe. I want to see him hurt. I want to see her miserable. If you have answered yes to any of those, you may have some revenge inside you just weren't really aware of until this morning. And let's think about Peter kind of going through these questions and 
conversation in his head. Jesus, seven times, he's counting, he's keeping track, leading to the grudge, leading to revenge. Jesus kind of keeps going and maybe stops him and says, Peter, Peter, you're asking the wrong question. See, you came and asked me about forgiveness because you think your scenario is so different than everything. But he says, you're actually asking the wrong question. Let me tell you a story. And he tells him this story, and you can follow along. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. He says, Peter, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And when he talks about this millions of dollars, Jesus exaggerates this story. He makes it huge to make a point that's like, hey, you know what? I'm not necessarily talking about one person, but I want you to realize the, the, the brevity of this topic. It's, he says, this is millions. So I just want you to picture for a second that today, maybe you, you know, in the financial courses, you've been tracking your spending. You realize, oh, I owe thousands of pizza. Up that. Let's just up that to like a million bucks. You owe one million. Look, forget it. Let's say five million. You owe $5 million, and you work at max, right? And so you're, you're in this spot where you can't pay. And this is what he says. So in the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debts. And they're probably thinking, Jesus, we're, you're not allowed to sell women and children. That's against the law. But they could think, well, maybe this king was not from Israel, and he's just really corrupt, and he's going to sell the whole family. When they sold slaves, the value he would have gotten in return was only about one ten-thousandth of what he was owed. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. <laughs> I'll pay it all. But the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Think about that. Think about this person who's like begging and pleading for, for forgiveness. I'll pay it all. I'll pay it all. And the king's like, I know you can't pay it all. You can't. That's why we're here, because you can't pay it. You're never going to be able to pay it. But he says he saw that and realized he has no chance to make it up to me, but I'm going to forgive. And when the man left the king, we think that's, you know, great story. think that's cool. It's not the end. It says when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And actually, the New Living translates a few thousand, but it's not really. It's actually a couple hundred dollars. It's about two days wages is what this other man owed him. What he owed the king was about 275 years worth of wages and this guy owed him two days worth when he realized that he couldn't pay he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment and his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time sounds familiar be patient with me and i'll pay it he pleaded but his creditor couldn't wait he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full when some of the other servants saw this they were very upset they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me simply because you asked me for forgiveness. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you, Peter, if you refuse your to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I think about the story. We think about Peter kind of sitting there. And then after that, the next chapter, just says in chapter 19, verse 1, it just says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things to Peter, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. 
No explanation. No, it's just like drop this bomb on him and then walks away. And we're like, whoa. And Peter's probably sitting there thinking and we're sitting here thinking, wrestling with this thought that he, he just leaves because Jesus just introduced this idea of limitless forgiveness. Peter, what I'm calling you to is limitless forgiveness. And we're like, man, if it's me, if it's you, you're like, kind of sounds ideal, Jesus. What about my, oh, wait, you just answered the question to what about my situation. <laughs> that's kind of that's big. You know, that's not the real world. This is why the Bible is not relevant anymore. We just want to write it off. What about me? What about my situation? You know, the interesting thing is Jesus didn't only just talk about this. He actually did it. He did it. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And, and it's just one interesting thought because Luke, as Luke wasn't an eyewitness, Matthew, he was there. He was writing all this down. Peter's like, why did you have to write that, you know, later on? But here's, here's Luke, guy who wasn't there, but he just asked everyone he knew, hey, what did you experience with Jesus? And he put all the stories together. And he lined everything up to give an accurate account. He's the only one who writes this thought. But from people he talked to, that day, as they're around the cross, one of them, you know, as they as said, Luke penned this, that as Jesus was there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Man, what a powerful statement for those people who had been standing around that cross hearing this. See, we read it and we think it's just a story, but picture that for a second. Here's a man whipped beyond recognition, bleeding out, hanging on a cross, being crucified for something he didn't do, convicted um, as guilty at a mock trial, having people brought around to lie about him so that they could put him up there just because some people were jealous. And he says, you know what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about that. You know, the Roman soldiers listening, they don't know what, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, we do. We do every day. We, we know what we're doing. The, 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 the religious leaders who put them there, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, we do. We're, taking, we're getting rid of you. You know, you're the one who's like, we, we're done competing with you, Jesus. We know what we're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that the, that the, that the whips hurt. They, they don't know that nails hurt. They don't know that jeers hurt. We're all sitting there thinking, yes, we know that all that hurts. So what does he mean? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't realize what they were doing. And as I read about that, I realized it was my sin that held him there. But he's saying the same thing. Father, forgive him. He doesn't realize that the choices he makes, that this is the result, that this is what it costs for sin. Those things we think are small sins, the price was so high. They don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize, you know, at Kingsway Church, every person sitting there, they don't realize this is the price of sin. But Father, don't hold it to their account. Forgive them because I, for, I forgive them. And we think about that. We think about the story and we think about the king and the servant. We realize the, the king, that's God. And the servant is, is me and, 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 and this debt. And he's telling me I got to forgive. I got to forgive like I've been forgiven. And, but the questions, what about all the other questions? What about the stuff? What about the other stuff? And when Jesus is talking to Peter and saying, listen, the question of, of 
how much forgiveness do I owe in light of my situation, in light of my circumstance? It's not really the question. It's just the question I want you to ask is in light of how much you've been forgiven. In the light of how much I've been forgiven, how much do I owe the other person to forgive them? Does that mean that what they did was okay? No. It's not what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness is not justifying what they did. Does that mean if I forgive that I got to forget what they did to me? No. It's not what he's asking. He's simply saying that that you're going to refuse to allow what they did to you to continue to hurt you. For some of you, what that other person has done to you, and you're still holding on to the hurt, that person's not even alive anymore, and they're still, still controlling your sleep, controlling your emotions, controlling things in your life because you can't let it go. We've talked about it before. It's like fishing. You know, in fishing, if we thought, you know, as, a, as you cast out a hook and a fish takes the, takes the hook, and realizes, ow, that hurt. And then the fish's brain says, oh, I'm going to pull and pull and pull until I hurt that whatever's on the other end of this line. I will just, I'm not spitting this hook. I'm going to hold on until that person falls out of the boat until I get them. And, and the person up on top is probably fuzzing. He's like, yeah, it's great, you know. He, he doesn't realize it at all, you know. It's not hurting him. He's enjoying it. And we think, no, fish is crazy thinking that. And yet that's exactly what unforgiveness is for us. It's like holding on to that pain in our, in our jaw, thinking that it's going to hurt the other person somehow. I had one person come up to me you know, a while back, and they said, I, you know, I'm not angry at you anymore. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, you were angry at me? I'm like, yeah. You remember what you said 16 days ago? And I, was, and I was like, no, no, I don't actually remember. And then they were like, well, I'm not angry at you anymore. I forgive you for that. And I was like, well, I'm glad that was only 16 days, you know. You didn't wait like two years because I had no idea. And, and we're friends, you know, in that process. See, forgiveness doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you got to forget what they did. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any consequences. Forgiving is just me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Go back to our story that we started with at the beginning. There's going to be consequences for Dylan Roof. As those people walked into that courtroom and said, I forgive you, that doesn't mean he's going to do time. There's not going to be any consequences. All that that means for those people is that they said, we won't be a judge. See, God said, revenge is mine. He said, I know all of it. I'll take care of it. Don't you try and carry that because it's just going to hurt you. God's a just judge. People reap what they sow. The things that they've done in your life, there will be consequences for those. But you're not the one to give those consequences. Forgiveness is not mostly about them anyways. It's about you. Lewis Smead said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. Let me leave you with this thought. Because maybe you're sitting here this morning like, okay, it's me. I got this stuff going on. What do I do? How can I live in forgiveness? How can I actually live that out? And how do I know if I'm doing it? Here's a couple quick thoughts. As we look about what Jesus said in the story, he just simply said to Peter, Peter, recognize, number one, that you've been forgiven much. If you're taking notes, jot them down real quick. I'll give you some, some stuff to think about. You may be like, oh, I don't want anybody to know it's for me. Don't Just write it down for your friends then. And, uh, you know, nobody will know. Um, recognize that you've been forgiven much. See, a lot of times when we think about, you know, us and God, we think, I'm a pretty, pretty good person. We don't realize 
the cost. The cross was the cost for my sin. It's a cost for your sin. It was the cost of forgiveness. We've been forgiven much. Jesus talked to them, and in Matthew, he wrote it down. The most famous sermon of Jesus was the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 6, they have this account of these stories. And you know what Jesus said to them? He says, you guys have heard it said that an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said that the punishment's got to fit the crime. He says, but that's not what I say. That's not what I say. I'm telling you, you know, love your enemies. Pray for those who, who, um, dis, who spitefully use and abuse you. Yeah, but that's my spouse. Yeah, that's my cousin. Yeah, that's, he says, pray for them and do good to them. You want to know if you're able to walk out and live out forgiveness? Here's what they are. Here's what they are. It's choosing to do these things. Recognize that you've been forgiven much, and that's why we can forgive, not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. It's giving them the chance to, to not have to make it up to you because they can't make it up to you. If your spouse has cheated on you, they can't make it up to you. This idea of forgiveness is not to like, defer consequence, that there's no consequence. It's just simply for the opportunity to restore relationship. Not a guarantee, but it creates opportunity for that to happen. It creates opportunity for future relationships. Recognize you've been forgiven much. Number two is this, choose to love. Choose to love. If you've been wronged, choose to love. You know, the Bible describes love in 1 Corinthians 13 as it keeps no record of wrong. It's not like the accountant trying to figure out, well, that, what they wronged me, they're going to have to do this to make up for it. It just says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to keep track of how I've been wrong. Number three is pray for them. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it's the words he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah, that's Jesus. <laughs> of course he can do that. Read through Acts, you'll see the story of Stephen being stoned for just being a believer in Jesus Christ. Mock trial, lied about, same deal. Stones being thrown. Said, Father, please don't hold this to their account. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the stones hurt. Yeah, they do. (laughs) But they don't know. They don't realize. They don't understand the hurt that they're causing. They don't realize and forgive them. Praying for them. Praying for them. And the last thought is this. Do good to them. Don't return evil for evil. In the story where all those people went to that courtroom and said, I forgive you, one of the women said, the reason we're here today to say these words with tears running down her eyes, I forgive you, is because I will not let hate win. I will not let hate win. And I want to encourage and challenge you for that thought. No matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is, don't let hate win. You have the opportunity to choose. And is it a feeling or, a, or an action? It's both. And which one's first? I would say probably the action, because most of the time, if you wait to feel like forgiving, it ain't ever going to happen. But when you choose to walk out in it, it's amazing at how it changes. And here's, here's the interesting thing. How do I know if I'm walking out in forgiveness? There's a test for that. I love this thought. It's not from the Bible even. But Michael McCulloch and Everett Worthington kind of wrote the, this paper on the science of forgiveness. There's tons more about forgiveness. We're not going to talk about how it affects your health and how it affects your moods and all that stuff. But they said this, by doing these different tests on people and trying to measure forgiveness, here's how they found out and figured out that if forgiveness was actually working in someone's life. And it was this, three things. If people were actually walking out in forgiveness, they had a decreasing motivation to retaliate against the offending partner. They weren't like, yeah, we're good. But they said, something's decreasing. That thought, that feeling in me to get even is just getting lower and lower all the time. They said there was a decreasing motivation 
to maintain hostility and avoidance from the other person. Yeah, we, oh, I never want to see them again has turned into, you know, I don't feel that strongly about that anymore. I don't feel like and it grows and grows um, less and less. And the third one was this, an increasing motivation of reconciliation. This thing on the inside to make things right. Increasing feeling of goodwill for the offender despite the offender's hurtful actions. I'm like, man, that's the Bible. That's exactly what he's saying. The things of doing good. Is, is forgiveness hard? Yeah. It's going to cost? Yeah. You're going to have to give up pride. You're going to have to give up some things to make that decision. But is it worth it? Yeah. I think about that when I think about the cross, when I think about Jesus having to ask and answer those questions. Is this going to be hard, Father, to forgive the world for the sin that they've committed? Yeah, Jesus, it's going to be hard. Is it going to cost me? Everything. It's going to cost you your life. Is it worth it? I'm so glad he answered yes. It's the reason my life has been changed. It's the reason we have hope. It's the reason we have opportunity. And this morning... No matter how you feel, he's forgiven you for it all. It's that simple thing of that servant who said, hey, I'm pleading for forgiveness. He says, yeah, I'll wipe it all away. But in that same exchange, he asks us to live and walk out in forgiveness as well. So I want to leave you with that thought. If it's you today, do something about that today. Do some, maybe, maybe it's start asking some questions. Maybe you've got to talk with you know, more. Send me an email, whatever. I'd love to help. Uh, in any way I can, but I encourage you and challenge you, not because it's from me, but from him. He says, if you're following me, do something about that. Walk out in forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, your word's alive. It's powerful. <laughs> that even written 2,000 years ago, it still affects our lives today. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray for every person who's right in the, right in the middle of it, right in the thick of difficulty. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that, that your word's guide and direct them in their situation. And Father, I pray that you give them courage to walk out in, in, uh, in this idea and concept of forgiveness that their future relationships may benefit. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. We want to live it uh, to honor you in everything that we do. Love you. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.